Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the Dow Jones finished the day down 125 points. And if you hadn't been paying attention, you might figure it was not a big deal. It wasn't uh, that much of a decline, but you would be wrong because the Dow finished better than 400 points off its lows. I think the Dow was down about 540 points early this morning. The NASDAQ was down better than 200 points. It cut its losses to just 31 by the close All of the major indexes uh, had recoveries on the day, but still closed in the red. The transports were down just under 200 points, about 1.9%, but they were down quite a bit more earlier in the day. In fact, I think the transports were down about 13.5% now from their highs, making this an official correction. You know, the Russell 2000 is actually down about 14% from its highs, so it's now officially in a correction. It finished down just 0.84%. But, you know, to me, this looked like a classic reversal Tuesday-type rally, one of the reversal Tuesdays where you gap way down and then just rally throughout the day. The rally uh, did not produce a positive close, so it was not a technically significant rally. In fact, I think uh, the downtrend is intact. To me, it looked like a lot of short covering was going on, especially if you look at some of the stocks that rallied. The home builders all had pretty big rallies today, all made new 52-week lows this morning. Most of them were up 3 to 4%. The biggest gainer on the day, Pulte Homes, uh, was up 7.28% after making a new 52-week low. I don't think there's a lot of new longs Uh, dying to get into this market. To me, you got some short covering. People that were short these names took advantage of the big gap down uh, to cover some shorts, and then we had rallies. But if you look at the financials, for example, all those stocks continue to go down, closing in the red, uh, rallied off the lows, but no substantial rallies. We had some uh, notable movers on earnings in the Dow, 3M, Bet worse than expected earnings, uh, down 4.38%, way off the lows for the day. I think it was down at least twice that much uh, in in the morning. Caterpillar, though, an even bigger loss, down 7.5%, much closer to its lows. Again, disappointing earnings. I thought this was supposed to be a booming economy. If the economy was booming, uh, why are these companies not able to uh, produce earnings that are consistent with a booming economy? Now, McDonald's, that actually bucked a trend. They had better than expected earnings up 6% on the day, 6.3%. I guess maybe in this booming economy, people are having such a hard time making ends meet that about the only restaurant they can afford to eat at is McDonald's. Speaking about eating, one of the stocks that was down quite a bit today that's not a U.S. stock was Bayer, which 
owns Monsanto. And I've talked about this company in the past because it is a stock that we actually own. And it was down 9.5% today. The California judge who had initially indicated about a couple of weeks ago that we, she was likely to throw out the uh, the jury verdict based on the fact that there was no basis uh, from which the jury should have found uh, Monsanto liable uh, for the cancer that the uh, that the plaintiff uh, was suffering from, and also some uh, the reckless way with which the plaintiffs uh, spoke to the jury and 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 said things to the jury that were very prejudicial that the judge had warned against. Yet uh, the the lawyer uh, said them anyway. So it seemed that they were maybe going to throw out the whole verdict and order another trial, but instead. All the judge did is reduce the punitive damages uh, from a ridiculous amount of a couple hundred million to a somewhat less ridiculous amount. I forget the exact amount, 30 or 40 million. But she decided to let the verdict stand. And her final ruling was in sharp contradiction to what she originally said a couple of weeks ago. And it's almost like night and day. And of course, uh, a bear is very surprised and disappointed in the ruling and they are going to appeal. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this uh, verdict really amounts to nothing more than theft by jury. There was absolutely no evidence that was put forward that proved that Monsanto's product caused the cancer that this groundskeeper uh, ended up getting. No, no evidence whatsoever. In fact, all of the, the studies and all of the research that has been done over the years, and there's been extensive research, it all pretty much comes down and says that it doesn't cause cancer. Right? So there is no scientific link. There is no proof. But of course, you know, you can always find experts, right? They go and they find one expert out there. Maybe they interview hundreds of experts to find the one guy that's willing to testify that he thinks it was the ingredient in this roundup that is the reason this guy developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he tells the jury. But, you know, if you look at his rationale, basically what this expert said is that he ruled out all the other possible causes. And therefore, the only thing left uh, was the ingredient in, in Roundup, and therefore that's why he has cancer, which is complete nonsense. First of all, how does he rule out everything else? I mean, apparently what he said is that there were studies that showed that other things didn't cause non-Hoskins lymphoma. Like it wasn't caused by smoking or drinking or the sunshine or whatever it was. So he ruled out all those causes, and the only thing that was left conveniently uh, was, was, uh, was the Roundup. Right. Although there are plenty of studies that also show that that doesn't cause cancer either. But of course, he ignores that because they found a guy who was willing to blame it on Roundup. Maybe he's an environmentalist or, you know, if you pay these experts enough money, you can get them to say anything. But the bottom line is, is that there is no evidence whatsoever that linked this product to that cancer. Yet the jury decided to award you know, a couple of hundred million dollars to somebody that they felt sorry for because he had developed cancer. You know, when I first heard about this story too, and the guy was a groundskeeper and he's using his herbicide, I feared he's been using it for 20 years or something, but apparently he just started using it two years before he got the cancer. I mean, you would think that if it did cause cancer, it wouldn't do it that quickly. I mean, if it was causing cancer that quickly, you figure people would be getting cancer all the time, you know, a couple years after using this product. I mean, this whole thing is 
nonsense. In fact, I hear the commercials now every day by these ambulance-chasing lawyers, and the commercials say, do you have non-Hopkins lymphoma, or have you ever come in contact with Roundup, and did you happen to develop non-Hopkins lymphoma? If you did, call us because you're going to get a bunch of money. Right, even though there is no proof that it is the Roundup that caused uh, the cancer, it doesn't matter. Right, And hopefully this is going to be reversed on appeal because these type of rulings are terrible for the U.S. economy because what they do is they substantially increase the legal risk of doing business in America. If you get to a position where a jury can steal your money, where it can just basically act as a socialist government and just decide that here is a wealthy corporation, a big corporation, here is a deserving, sympathetic guy, and let's just redistribute the wealth. Let's just take uh, millions of dollars from this corporation and give it to this deserving person who we think needs it more. Although, of course, the... Uh, the lawyers that represented the plaintiff here tried to appeal to the jury's sense of their historical uh, purpose and what they're doing. And you're, you know, you you are firing a shot that's going to be heard around the world. You're going to stop these greedy, profit-hungry corporations from exploiting people and deliberately giving people cancer. All a bunch of nonsense. You know, a lot of these environmentalists, or a lot of people out there that that don't like Monsanto or don't like companies that that make chemicals because they say, oh, this is polluting the earth or this is causing disease. And all this stuff is a bunch of nonsense. Look, I mean, I eat personally, I eat a lot of organic products, right? I personally believe that it's better to eat organic products than products where they've been exposed to all these chemicals. Not because I think these chemicals are going to give me cancer. I just think that maybe I'll be healthier if I eat uh, products that are, you know, grown naturally. Now, everybody in America can make the same choice, but they're not going to because all this organic vegetables and fruits and products, they cost a lot of money. They're like double or triple what you would pay uh, for regular stuff. And what a product like uh, Roundup does and the, the industrial version, what it does and farmers use it to kill the weeds that would ordinarily be growing in their crops and dramatically reducing their yields. So because farmers are able to use products made by Monsanto and other companies, they are able to produce a lot more food. And so food is far more abundant and the price is much lower. And I'm talking about healthy foods, right? Vegetables and fruits. These are all the products that benefit from herbicides and pesticides and, and things that have chemicals. Now, if we banned all these products, right, just so we didn't have any chemicals out there and we forced everybody in America to buy organic stuff, well, most people couldn't afford it. Most of your poor people and middle class people, for that matter, could not afford to eat all these fruits and vegetables. So what would they eat instead? A bunch of crap. They'd you know, a lot of processed foods, a lot of starches and sugars. I mean, so as unhealthy as Americans are, if we stopped using all these products and therefore Americans stopped eating vegetables and all they ate was crap, they'd get a lot sicker. I don't know what kind of cancer they'd get, heart disease, they'd be a lot fatter. I mean, Americans are obese enough. Imagine taking away the, the vegetables. So for all these environmentalists that want to act as if these companies are causing cancer, they are not doing that. In fact, because they are helping to make food more abundant and less expensive, more people eat a healthier diet. Now, would the diet be even healthier if they simply ate organic? Yes, 
but you got to live in the real world. They can't afford it. The average guy can't afford an all-organic diet. So I'd rather have them eat fruits and vegetables that had pesticides and herbicides. And yeah, maybe they're not as good for you, but it's better than eating all the other crap that you would have to eat if uh, the the healthier stuff uh, was too expensive. So everybody forgets about that. But hopefully this verdict will be thrown out. I mean, the question is, why did this judge let this verdict stand. I mean, I think this judge has her own agenda. First of all, she's San Francisco. I'm sure she's very liberal herself. Uh, And I think she was influenced in large part because when she came out and publicly said she was likely to throw the whole thing out and listed all the problems, she was inundated with letters from the jurors who said, oh, please don't overturn our verdict. I bet she got all kinds of uh, pressure from her community. You know, these judges have to be elected. She's going to, you know, she's got a term and then when her term is up, she's got to be reelected. And I bet she was thinking, if I, you know, order a new trial, I'm going to be painted as this evil friend of these money grubbing, uh, cancer causing polluters. And so she probably was thinking about her own reelection as a judge and decided that she couldn't do that. I mean, so she did a little bit in reducing the size of the punitive damage, but even the compensatory damages were ridiculous and totally out of line uh, with uh, with what they should have paid. But maybe she's thinking, okay, you know, it'll, I'll be reversed on appeal and at least the pressure will be off me because the appellate judges, you know, are not going to have to be worried about re- being reelected and they could actually look at it objectively. And sometimes I guess judges are not going to be as, as critical and self-reflective. They don't want to uh, admit their their mistakes. But for me, any self-respecting judge is going to have to look at the evidence and just throw this whole thing out. I mean, just because a jury decides to award it, that doesn't mean it stands. You have to have a judge that will go back and look at the jury. And if the jury comes out with a verdict that is completely inconsistent with the evidence or lack of evidence, it's the job of a judge to get rid of it, to strike it down and say, look, let's have a new trial because there's no way the jury should have found the way it did because juries can be swayed. They can be prejudiced. And I'm sure there were a lot of things that the the attorney said that prejudiced this jury, but that is not um, dismantling the jury system. That is basically making sure that runaway juries do not take the law into their own hands and just decide that they're just going to divvy up the wealth and punish people they don't like and reward people they feel sorry for, even if the people they don't like didn't do anything wrong. But the problem is going to be if this verdict stands, right, then it is going to increase the cost of doing business dramatically in the United States. Everybody is going to have to pay more money for everything because anybody can be sued for anything and get millions of dollars, right? It's going to open up the floodgates. Lots more people are going to take a shot at, you know, at filing a lawsuit because there's lots of money at stake. It's like a lottery ticket. Doesn't cost the plaintiffs anything. The lawyers do it. It's a big shakedown. And these verdicts are going to scare other companies into settling. And so all this litigation just makes America a much less competitive economy. Companies aren't going to want to do business here. And when they do, they're going to have to charge a lot more money to cover their potential legal liability. But let me get back uh, to talking about the overall market and the the, you know, the excuses that are being offered as to why the market is declining, because nobody wants to admit that the market is declining because we're in a bear market, right? So people are always trying to come up with, with ways to blame the market. Well, the newest one from the Republicans, and I heard Donald Trump talking about it, and then Larry Kudlow uh, again today, Trump and Kudlow are blaming the fear among investors 
that Democrats will take Congress in the midterm elections. And because of the concerns about the Democrats coming, that's why the market is going down. Because, of course, the Democrats are going to undo all this great stuff which Trump has done. But, of course, that's impossible. Because it doesn't matter, even if the Democrats take the House and take the Senate, and taking the Senate is not likely, but even if they were to do that, whatever they passed, Trump could just veto it. So they can't repeal anything. The only thing that would happen is that you would not get any more uh, legislation uh, potentially that Trump you know, likes. But if what he's already done has already made America great again, right? If, if America is already great based on what he's already accomplished, then what difference does it make? Right. There's nothing left to accomplish. Right. Everything. He's done the job. America is already great again. We've got the greatest economy in the history of the world. So how could a Democratic Congress possibly screw that up as long as he's got a veto pen? This is all a bunch of nonsense. In fact, if anything, the blue wave that was forming and that I've been talking about potentially is not going to be as big as I thought. I think this Brett Kavanaugh stuff actually backfired on the Democrats, and I think it's actually caused uh, you know, some excitement now uh, more among Republicans or maybe some of the, the, the never-Trumpers uh, who are you know, now uh, coming along because of this controversy. So I don't think the, the Democrats are going to pick up as many seats as I thought. I still think they're going to get the House, but I think the probability uh, of them getting the Senate is, is, is far less, not that they, I even thought they would. And it's possible that you know the majority they pick up in the House will be slim, or maybe there is a shot that they won't get the House. If I, a month ago, I, w- I would have said no, not a chance. They're gonna, the Republicans are losing the House for sure. But meantime, even though the Republicans' numbers at the polls have improved, now they're blaming the decline in the stock market on worries that the Democrats are going to do better in the midterm elections. This is just scapegoating, just like Trump did with the Federal Reserve, blaming the Federal Reserve uh, for the market sell-down. Now, yeah, I mean, the Federal Reserve is to blame, but the Federal Reserve is also to blame for the rally. That's why the market went up, because the Fed cut interest rates. And now the market's going down because they're raising them back up again. You know, Trump likes to take credit for the market going up, but he wants to blame everybody else when the market goes down. I mean, do I believe that part of this bubble was caused by Trump's election? Yes, I think the bubble would have popped sooner, but for the election of Donald Trump. But because Donald Trump became president, the bubble just got bigger. Like It's like the bus was headed off the cliff. And Donald Trump mentions that, that he said, hey, we were headed for a crash when Obama was president. And if Hillary had won, we would have had it. And I agree with him, right? So basically, Obama is driving the bus towards a cliff. Well, Trump is still driving the bus towards the same cliff. Maybe he just, uh, you know, t- is taking a, uh, a longer path, but he didn't step on the brake even. Maybe he's just, you know, taking, taking a longer route and maybe even stepping on the gas. But we're still going to end up going over the same cliff because nothing has changed. In fact, if you listen to the speech, and I listened to his uh, talk yesterday in Texas. It was a rally for Ted Cruz, who's, you know, up for re-election, and now he's Donald Trump's best friend. Remember, this was Lion Ted, right? Ted Cruz and Donald Trump had a horrible relationship. Uh, you know, uh, Cruz would not endorse Trump. Remember, we had there was a big deal about, you know, even having him at at the convention. So he was one of the last holdouts of the Never Trumpers. And now all of a sudden, I mean, he loves Trump, and now Trump 
is saying that he's not Lion Ted anymore. He's Beautiful Ted. Well, why is he beautiful now? And why was he Lion Ted uh, a couple of years ago? Well, he's beautiful because he likes Donald Trump. He was lying when he didn't like Donald Trump, which, again, is more proof that this whole thing is a show, right? It's all part of the marketing spin. When Ted Cruz was anti-Trump, Trump said he was a liar. And now that he's pro-Trump, he's no longer a liar, which means either either he was lying then, right, or he's lying now, right? Either he was, you know, but Trump always has it both ways, right? He's just going to spin whatever information is out there. But, you know, I'm not letting Ted Cruz off the hook because if Ted Cruz was opposed to Donald Trump as a candidate, why does he love him now? He's the same guy, right? And so it's all politics. I mean, when Cruz was anti-Trump, it was because he thought Trump couldn't win. And so he had the guts to stand up for somebody they thought had no chance of winning. But now that Trump is so popular within the Republican Party, he can't oppose him anymore. So it has nothing to do with principles. It had to do with politics. He was opposed him for political reasons, and now he loves him for political reasons because nobody has the guts to stand up for Trump and to say that anything Trump is doing is wrong. And that is going to be the biggest problem for the Republicans when everything implodes and everybody has gone along for the ride. Nobody is going to be able to have clean hands in the Republican Party to say, hey, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. Everybody is going to be blamed when this whole thing falls apart. And if you listen to that speech and how Trump was talking, the new Republican Party defined by Donald Trump, one, we know it's about protectionism. So Republicans are for high tariffs, right, in order to protect big labor, right? It's not maybe it's not about protecting the profits of uh, U.S. companies. It's about protecting the wages of unionized workers, right? It's all about keep getting higher paying jobs. So now the Republicans are about the labor movement, protecting labor unions and big labor, right? That's now part of the Republican Party, right? We want to tax consumers so that we can pay higher wages to unionized workers, right? So that's a big part of the Republican Party. Also, the Republican Party is about preserving and protecting Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and all the entitlements. So this was the party that opposed these programs, right? When Franklin Roosevelt first proposed Social Security, the Republicans were opposed to it. When Lyndon Johnson came in with Medicare, the Republicans were opposed to it for good reason. These are both unconstitutional programs. Nothing in the Constitution authorizes the government to do any of this. And it's all horrible economics. It's basically the government stealing money from uh, some people and giving it to other people, but in the process, destroying the incentives to save, you know, screwing up health care, screwing up retirement. I mean, these programs are disasters. The unfunded liabilities have bankrupted the country. But now, instead of trying to lead the charge to at least try to reform, I mean, nobody wants to get rid of the programs anymore. I mean, Republicans sometimes have a little backbone when it comes to a brand new program that never existed, right? They can oppose a new entitlement program before it exists. But once it's on the books, they'll never vote to get rid of it because they never want to take something away from what people already have. So they might vote you know, not to give you a free lunch, but if you're already eating for free, they're not going to take the food away. And so that's why none of these programs ever go away. They're there forever, you know, and the Republicans will oppose them, you know, when they're passed and when they're in the minority. But if they ever get power and they have the opportunity to get rid of them, they won't do it. 
right? Which is what just happened with with Obamacare. So Trump is now bragging about how the Republican Party is there to protect Social Security from the Democrats who supposedly want to cut it. Can you imagine the Republicans are saying we want to make sure the Democrats don't cut your Social Security? I mean, talk about you know uh, a flip flop. But of course, the Democrats would never touch Social Security, right? That's the last thing they do. But now you have the Republicans trying to be the party of big government, of entitlement spending growth, you know, without any type of, uh, you know, checks on that. And of course, if the Republicans are committed not to making cuts to Social Security and Medicare, well, the Democrats aren't going to do it either. So he's talking about spending more money on entitlements, right? He also talked about the Space Force again and how we're launching this fifth branch of the service, the Space Force, and also this new nuclear arms race. I mean, the president now wants to beat China and Russia into submission, right? He's got them on the ropes, and now he wants to finish them off by really building and stockpiling a bunch of nuclear weapons. I mean, how much is that going to cost? And, you know, Trump was too bragging about how much the Chinese stock market was down, right? That it's down all this, like 30%, and we're up, and so we're winning and they're losing. And this is great because their market is getting killed as if this is the proof that what he's doing is right, right? Well, you know, the conventional wisdom on this is completely wrong. I mean, the Chinese are going to come out ahead in this so-called trade war because the Chinese have been losing by having been dumb enough to supply Americans with all kinds of stuff that we couldn't afford. But I bet by the time Trump leaves office at the end of his first term, because I don't think he's going to have a second term, but I, le- I believe the Chinese stock market will be higher than it was the day he was elected and the U.S. stock market will be lower. So when the verdict is in, judged by his own standards, the Chinese are going to win and the Americans are going to lose. But it's not about the stock market. There are a lot more things that are going to be uh, manifest as a result of this trade war. And I think the main thing is going to be a substantially weaker U.S. dollar and much higher prices for Americans and much lower prices for the Chinese. So the Chinese are going to benefit. They're going to consume more and Americans are going to suffer. They're going to consume less. But getting back to Donald Trump and his rally and what he's talking about. So uh, we're winning, right? We're winning on this trade war. We're going to make sure that we keep spending money on Medicare and Social Security and don't cut anything. And of course, entitlements are on autopilot, right? They get more expensive every year. So if you don't make cuts, you know, they're just going to keep growing. It's not like they stay the same. We're going to spend more money on the military, on nuclear weapons, on the Space Force. We're going to build a wall, right? We're going to spend money on that. So all he talks about is all this new government spending. Doesn't talk about any government agencies or departments that he's going to eliminate or cut, right? It's all about more money that's going to be spent. And then he talks about another tax cut, right? As if he hadn't already cut taxes enough, now he wants to come out with this new tax cut. He's talking about a 10% tax cut that's just for the middle class, right? So this is a pure bribe to the voters, right? Vote for Republicans to get your extra 10% tax cut, right? So he's just basically handing out stolen stuff. Cut, we're going to you know, cut your taxes just like he wants the people on Social Security to vote Republican because we're going to protect your Social Security from those Democrats who would try to cut it. Right. So Trump is trying to be all things to all people by buying the votes of everybody. Right. Handing out money hand over fist. 
uh, to every possible constituent, whether it's with the government giving you money or the government just taking less money away from you. But if Trump is going to promise all this good stuff from government, that we're going to keep on spending money on entitlements, we're going to jack up spending on the military, we're going to build up our nuclear you know, armament, we're going to have this space force. Okay, well, if you want all that stuff, then tell Americans how much it's going to cost, how much of their taxes is going to have to go up to pay for all this stuff. But instead, Trump is saying, we're going to give you all this stuff and we're going to cut your taxes at the same time. It's all going to be free, right? This is guns and butter that would probably make Lyndon Johnson blush because you know what else is getting more expensive? Interest on the national debt. That's going up. That's the fastest increasing part of the, of the budget is the interest we have to spend on the money we already borrowed. Yet Trump is borrowing even more, knowing that the interest on that borrowed money is going to get even more expensive. So this is going to end a disaster. The guns and butter policies of Lyndon Johnson, that's why we had the stagflation of the 1970s. That's why we went off the gold standard, because we had printed so much money you know, for guns and butter to fight in Vietnam and go to the moon and you know, to have all this social spending that we just print all this money. We couldn't honor our commitments. We didn't have enough gold to back up all our IOUs for gold that we had been uh, putting out there. And so we had to go out the gold standard and the dollar tanked and prices went through the roof. And this time, the dollar is going to tank even more and prices are going to go you know, even higher. In fact, you're going to need the Space Force just to find the prices because that's how high into the sky they're going to be. They're going to be up in, up in space. Things are going to get so expensive because the dollar is going to get killed. I mean, look at the articles now coming out. You can see a lot of uh, our creditors don't want to buy our bonds anymore. And especially if we're telling the Russians and the Chinese, hey, we're going to build up nuclear weapons and point them at you. And by the way, will you loan us the money so we can afford to do it? I mean, why would anybody want to loan America money so it can build more nuclear weapons, especially to point them at the people who are loaning them the money? So the appetite for U.S. Treasuries is collapsing as Trump is getting ready to increase the, the, the issuance. And of course, the Federal Reserve is already saying we're going to um, we're going to shrink our balance sheet. So we ain't going to be buying any U.S. Treasuries. And by the way, we're going to be unloading the ones that we've got. So there's going to be this huge market for Treasuries. There's nobody there to buy them. You know, the Wall Street Journal had an article about this today, but they still just don't get how bad it's going to be or, or the implications. I mean, if you are completely hooked on cheap money and you need foreigners to supply it because your own citizens don't save any money, you know, I finally heard some guy on television today saying what I've been saying for years, that, you know, well, you know, we've been on drugs. He said, I hate to use a drug analysis, but, you know, we've been on the drug of cheap money for a long time. And obviously now they're taking away the drugs and this is what happens. Yes, but this is just the beginning of what happens. Why do you think these banks are going down? Because these banks are in a lot of trouble, just like I've been saying. They were the principal beneficiaries of the low interest rates. They were able to make all these loans because the cost of money was free. They got money for free, and then they turned around and loaned it out for a little bit more, and they were able to make money because the loans were cheap. And because money was so cheap, Asset prices kept rising, so they had plenty of collateral to make all these loans. You're going to reverse this process. Interest rates go up. Loans become more expensive. Asset prices collapse. There goes the collateral for the loans. The loans go into default. The banks start losing money, and now they're insolvent. And then what happens? Well, they got to be bailed out again. 
Only how are you going to bail them out if the Fed is not printing money, if the Fed is hiking interest rates? You can't, which is why they won't. And the question is, when are the markets going to start to figure this out? Because the dollar is still not falling. Even with the Dow down 500 points today, right? nobody is starting to think, hey, maybe the Fed uh, won't hike. Now, bonds did have a big rally intraday. They lost back almost the entire rally. They still closed up a little bit. But when the Dow was down 500 points, we had a pretty big rally in treasuries. But as the Dow clawed back, then the Treasury surrendered those gains. But I didn't see any movement at all in, in the dollar that would suggest that people are starting to think that this weakness in the stock market uh, might mean something. Gold was up today. I mean, at one point, it was up about 15 bucks early in the morning. Um, but it closed up about eight and a half, nine dollars $9, back above 12.30. So still a decent day. And the interesting thing about gold today was that as the U.S. market rallied back, Gold didn't go negative. I mean, gold held on to uh, to most of its gains. But at some point, people are going to have to figure this out. But right now, people are still completely complacent. Right? They're not worried that this is a bear market. Uh, they're not worried that there's a- another crisis coming. Uh, they're completely uh, complacent with respect to higher interest rates. Maybe they're, they're a little bit nervous that, okay, maybe this is going to be a hiccup, but nobody is worried about anything similar to 2008. And in that way, they're right. It's not going to be similar to 2008. It's going to be a whole hell of a lot worse. I mean, 2008 was going to be a walk in the park compared to what we got coming. Because when we have inflation, when we have a falling dollar and soaring gold prices that ties the Fed's hands And if the Fed tries to untie its hands anyway and ignore the tanking dollar and rising inflation and tries to bail everybody out, then it's a collapse. But, you know, I had somebody that emailed me that thought that, you know, what that I was, you know, taking too big a risk with my strategy because he said, hey, what if the Fed does the right thing? And, you know, I doubt that they will. I mean, I don't want to base my investments on the Fed doing the right thing because that's something that they they really have never done since Paul Volcker. And so I don't want to bet that they're going to go back to that. I want to bet that the Fed keeps doing what they've been doing. I think that's a safer bet. But if the Fed does the right thing, that does not hurt my investment strategy. Not at all. I mean, if the Fed does the right thing, right, and they they keep raising interest rates, and even though we're in recession, right, and they allow the financial crisis to, to happen, banks are going to fail. Depositors are going to lose money, not just the creditors and the stockholders, depositors, because the government doesn't have money in the FDIC to bail out the depositors. So if the Fed is going to keep tightening and not monetize debt, then they have to allow banks to fail and they have to allow depositors to lose money. Also, um, pension funds will fail. The government guarantees won't be good there. Mortgages will fail. The government guarantees won't be good there. And I think the government will be forced to default on its treasury bonds. Now, some people think, well, isn't that going to be good for the dollar because that will reduce the supply of dollars? I don't think so because I think it will reduce the demand for dollars even more. Look, if the U.S. government starts defaulting on its bonds, do you think people are going to say, oh, let me just buy dollars. This is a great this is a great uh, thing because there's going to be fewer dollars now because all these bonds just got destroyed. Not on your life. I mean, once you uh, destroy that mystique, once America is no longer this bastion of safety and the risk-free place, when we start defaulting on our debts, nobody is going to want dollars. And of course, you know, are we going to default on our the Social Security commitments too and all those other commitments? 
But if we do, and this whole economy is imploding, I mean, there's no way that people are going to say, yeah, I got to get my money in the United States. I mean, everybody's already got so many dollars. I mean, it's, people are going to be selling whatever they have left. So even if the Fed does the right thing, the dollar is going to go down, right? It's just that if they do the wrong thing, it's going to go down a lot more, right? And I think they're going to do the wrong thing up until the point where they may eventually do the right thing. But I don't think they're going to do the right thing until doing the wrong thing is so politically costly that they can't do it anymore. They will kick the can down the road as long as they can. And once it gets to the point where they know they're not going to get reelected no matter what they do, when the economy is so screwed up, right, when, you know, there's riots in the streets and protests and, you know, th- and, and they know they're not going to get reelected. They, they, there's no chance, no matter what they do, somebody is going to beat them. Then maybe, maybe they'll finally do the right thing. But between now and then, they will always do what is in their own political self-interest. Right. Which is why everybody. Right. Is kissing Trump's ass right now because they think it's in their political self-interest to do it. And there were people who were critical of Trump when they thought it was in their political self-interest to do that. When they thought he was going to go down in flames, they wanted to be the guy that that stood up for. Him, right. And when he didn't go down in flames, when he became you know the most popular Republican around, then everybody had to jump on that bandwagon. And this is going to be you know what is going to take the entire party down because everybody is going to get the blame. And the solution is going to be uh, complete socialism. You know, one place where they're already having to make some of these hard choices now is in Italy, right? Italy, you might have heard, you know, they want to spend more. They want to cut taxes and increase government spending. They kind of want to do what Trump is talking about, right? They want to stimulate the economy and buy votes by sending out more checks and, and cutting taxes. And the European Union is saying, no, you can't do that. You have limits to your debt because, after all, if you are in the eurozone and you are in the euro currency and you're issuing bonds denominated in euros and you're running these big debts and then you're basically passing on the cost to all the other countries, right? You have this big moral hazard problem in the eurozone. And so they have to make sure that there's some authority to limit the amount of debt. Otherwise, it'll be everybody will just have more and more debt because they'll be trying to push the consequences onto the other European Union nations. So they have to have some kind of limitation on that. And of course, now you have this, uh, you know, this battle between the Italian politicians who want to buy votes and the European Union that doesn't want to let them do it. And ultimately, to the extent that the EU is able to force Italian politicians uh, to uh, be honest with the voters and say, look, we can't, you know, we can't give you tax cuts and more spending that, you know, we're going to have to, something's going to have to give, then that's going to be a positive for Italy and it's going to be a positive uh, for the European Union. But the European Union could give the Italian politicians some cover. Like, oh, you know, we didn't want to do it, but we were forced to do this by these bad guys in Brussels, right? But in America, we don't have that, right? There's nobody to force America to act responsibly. Although eventually... They will when the world stops buying our bonds and everybody starts dumping dollars. Then, But by then, it's too late. But what's happening now in the EU is what would be happening in America if, if, if we had any fiscal discipline. But we don't. The Italians don't have it either on their own. But now they're getting some discipline uh, from the EU. And hopefully the EU sticks to its, uh, to its guns and does force the Italians uh, to reform and to you know, put a cap on on spending or, or, or the tax cuts. 
But to me, you know, this again, it's, it's, it reminds me of the insurance and the pre-existing conditions because Trump was talking about that again at yesterday's rally. He was bragging about the fact that we will make sure that people with pre-existing conditions are not discriminated against. Right. So now this is the Republican Party. And this basically guarantees the Republican Party has guaranteed socialized medicine, because once you have done that, once you have told Americans that they can get health insurance, no matter how sick they are, and they can buy it at the same price as healthy people, then you're done. The whole system is going to fall apart. Right. But nobody has the guts anymore. None of these Republican candidates that are running, whether it's they're running for senator or they're running for governor, no one has the guts to say that. You know, they want to allow insurance companies to charge sick people more than healthy people, right? That is now the new entitlement that if you're sick, you're entitled to buy insurance at the same rate as somebody who's healthy. But the minute you've done that, then no healthy people are going to be dumb enough to buy insurance. Look, the one thing that Obama sort of got right with Obamacare was the penalty. There was a penalty for not buying insurance because Obama recognized if we are going to prevent insurance companies from charging sick people more, then we have to require all the healthy people to buy insurance. Otherwise, they won't do it. The problem was the penalty was too low. You see, the free market imposes a penalty. If you are healthy and don't buy insurance, right? the penalty is if you get sick, it's going to cost a lot more money. And in fact, you may not even be able to buy the policy. So because healthy people are worried that they might get sick, and if they do get sick, they know they might not be able to get coverage, that's why the healthy people buy insurance. That's the only reason. It's only because insurance companies can deny you coverage if you're sick or charge you a lot more when you're sick. That's the only reason that people buy insurance when they're healthy. Now, if the government is going to eliminate the market's penalty for not buying insurance, they have to substitute their own. And the Obama's was the penalty tax. The problem was it was too low. Well, what the Republican says, we're going to have no penalty. We're going to make it so that you have no punishment if you don't buy insurance when you're healthy, because you can wait till you get sick and then you can buy it at the same price, right? This is the dilemma because once the Democrats passed Obamacare, where people now had this new right, right? The right to force an insurance company to sell you a policy that they know they're going to lose money on. Right? The Republicans won't take it away. I mean, what insurance company in their right mind wants to sell a sick person insurance? It's like with a uh, a property casualty company. I mean, I'm in Puerto Rico. We had Hurricane Maria. How many people would want to sell a policy to somebody whose house just got destroyed by a hurricane that covered the hurricane that just happened? No, the, the insurance company only wants to sell you a hurricane policy it, before the hurricane because they're betting that there isn't going to be one. And you're betting that there is going to be one, right? That's the gamble that you're making. Well, if if you've already had the accident, if you're already sick, well, then it's not a gamble anymore. You're sick. You're going to need the money. What idiot company would want to sell you a policy? But nobody wants to level with the American public and explain insurance because now the Democrats have created something for nothing. The Republicans are afraid to take it away. And so they pretty much guaranteed that we are on you know, the fast track to socialized medicine. We're probably going to be there at single payer or full out socialized medicine uh, probably by you know, sometime 2022, 2023. You know, when, it, when the Democrats get uh, the White House and Congress next, that's what's going to happen. right? We're going to get full on single payer socialized medicine. And the Republicans will have nobody but themselves to blame. 
And speaking about blame, I, I want to finish up this podcast. I got to talk a little bit about Cory Booker. And there's two reasons that I want to talk about uh, Cory Booker. One is uh, because Cory Booker was recently accused, anonymously so far, of sexual assault. Right? And it happened, I think, on the internet. And it's obviously, you know, there's no actual evidence yet. I mean, anybody can accuse anybody of anything, right? Which is what I said uh, during the Brett Kavanaugh uh, controversy. But Cory Booker, a.k.a. Spartacus, was one of those holier-than-thou people that was basically saying that, hey, Kavanaugh, you ought to step down. You ought to resign from the process. It doesn't matter whether you did it or not. You've been accused. And the mere fact that you've been accused, well, that's, you know, that means that you, 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 you know, you should step down because, you know, you're probably guilty. But even if you're not, it's just the appearance that's important. And just in deference to all of the people who are survivors of sexual assault, you ought to, out of respect, you ought to just step down, right? Don't, don't even deny what you did because you don't want to, you know, you, you don't want to cause even more pain from this woman who's suffering uh, from uh, sexual assault, sexual abuse. So even if it wasn't you who did it, you know, just, you know, don't call her a liar. Don't say anything. Just step down. Right. He was one of the people that was very, very uh, harsh and holier than thou. And now it turns out that, well, he's got an allegation. Now, of course, I am consistent. Right. I would give Cory Booker the benefit of the doubt that he didn't do what has been alleged. Right. But Cory Booker didn't give the benefit of the doubt to Kavanaugh. So this is the pure definition of hypocrisy. Right now, Cory Booker hasn't said a word. Right now, he's not denying anything. He's just keeping quiet. But what about all the other Democrats? Where's all the outrage out there? Now, of course, part of the problem is the person who accused Cory Booker is a guy. Right. It's not a woman. So it's a guy. Now, he admits that he's gay, so he is, you know, in a protected minority. I mean, he is a he's not a straight guy, right? He, so he's one of the good ones, right? He's he's gay. And and so he's oppressed also, and now he's accused Cory Booker of sexually assaulting him. Now, I don't want to get into all the details. You can go read the salacious details of the assault. I mean, I don't know if it's really salacious when it's two guys involved. It's kind of, you know, but anyway, but you can read uh, the, the gory details of the uh, the sexual assault. But clearly, this guy has made an accusation. He's a survivor, right? He has to be believed, right? Because um, Dr. Ford had to be believed. She was a survivor. Well, this guy survived too, right? I mean, why, why, are, why isn't he being believed? Just because, now, I don't believe him, but <clears throat> what about the Democrats? The Democrats that believed Dr. Ford, who said she must be believed, she's a survivor. Well, why the double standard? Is it because this guy is a guy? Is it, is it, do we only believe women who have been sexually assaulted and we don't believe men? You know, a lot of men are sexually assaulted. You know, a statistic that not a lot of people know, America is the only country in the world where more men are raped every year than women. I'm, 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 I'm serious. And the reason is, because you think I'm probably making this up, the men are not raped by women. They're raped by other men, and they're raped in prison, right? We have more people in prison by far than any other country, and one of the things that happens in prison is rape. So there are a lot of guys getting raped, right? We got more men getting raped every year than women. Now, of course, Cory Booker hasn't been accused of rape, just like Brett Kavanaugh wasn't accused of rape, but it is a sexual assault. And this is not something that Cory Booker did when he was in high school and drunk. This happened four years ago. 
I mean, so he was an adult. He was in politics. He was, I'll forget if he was senator or running for senator. But, I mean, four years ago? And apparently, and you know, this guy hasn't come forward yet, but he does have a lawyer, so he's all lawyered up. And the reason that he's saying that he came forward, and that the reason makes sense to me, because you might say, hey, why didn't he come forward four years ago? Well, four years ago, Cory Booker wasn't, you know, acting holier than now, you know, calling out Brett Kavanaugh for you know, his sexual assault. And this guy's probably thinking, my God, the guy did, look what he did to me. And he's, what a hypocrite this guy is. And to me, that makes sense as a, as a motivation for why he might come forward now, because he's so aggravated to see this guy who assaulted him, taking this other guy to task, you know, for, for a sexual assault when he's an assaulter himself. But apparently what I've read is there are witnesses, not witnesses to the assault, but apparently this guy, after it happened, told some of his friends about it. He didn't go to the police. He didn't go to the media, but he told some friends, which makes sense to me. I mean, if Cory Booker, a famous guy, does this to you, I mean, you're, you're going to talk about it, right? I mean, you're going to, you're gonna, you know, I mean, how, why would you keep this to yourself? But I can see why you wouldn't go necessarily go to the police, right, with it or go to the newspaper with it. But now, given all this Me Too movement, given Cory Booker's role, it makes sense that this guy could be pissed off enough at this hypocrite that he decided to come out. Now, of course, people think this is all the conservatives are behind this. Apparently, this guy claims that he was a Democrat and he was a big fan, a big, big admirer of a Cory Booker until Booker sexually assaulted him. And now, apparently, he's got some issues uh, lingering problems as, as a result of surviving uh, this assault. Now, look, for all I know, this whole thing is made up, right? Because it's easy to make stuff up. But you know what? There's, you know, this is as credible as Dr. Ford's allegation. And at least this is an allegation that makes sense. This is an allegation that Booker did this as an adult four years ago, not 35 years ago in high school. Yet nobody, nobody on the left is talking about this. You can barely hear any mention of this story anywhere. Now, the other reason is maybe it's because Cory Booker is a Democrat. So maybe you're only guilty until you're proven innocent if you are a conservative or a Republican and, and you're accused of doing something wrong. But if you're a Democrat and somebody accuses you, well, then, you know, then, then, then I guess you still got some rights. But we'll see where this story goes. I mean, if this is real, then there's no reason for this guy not to come forward take a polygraph test. I mean, what are we going to do? Are we, well, we going to have an FBI investigation? Are we going to haul Cory Booker out in front of the Senate? And you know, Cory Booker should just resign. I mean, if Cory Booker doesn't resign, right? And again, I don't think he should resign, but if he doesn't resign his Senate seat, then he owes Brett Kavanaugh an apology because he's been accused of something and he's not resigning, right? And so if he has now been accused falsely, right? Because let's say Cory Booker didn't do this, right? And he has no recollection it didn't happen. Well, he's now been accused falsely. Well, now he can feel a little sympathy for somebody else who was accused falsely and say, you know what? I didn't do this. And somebody is saying they did it and they're lying. So maybe this Dr. Ford was lying too. Or maybe she wasn't lying. She's just delusional. But a innocent man was accused of doing something he didn't do. So I am going to apologize, which is what Cory Booker should do. Because if he's not going to resign then he should apologize. But what he has done, uh, he's done neither, but he's concocted this ridiculous plan, which I wanted to talk about, which is probably something that is, you know, he's putting out there because he, he also wants to be a candidate for president. And 
This is basically bribery to poor people with kids, right? What he wants to do is everybody who's born in America, every single person who's born, rich or poor, the U.S. government gives you $1,000. They deposit it into an account with your name. $1,000. Every child that's born. Right? Where's that money coming from? The government doesn't have any money, so they have to take it from somebody else. So they're going to steal money from somebody. So the minute you're born, right, you're going to be the recipient of stolen money. You're you're taking you're an accomplished after the fact to a crime, right? So he's going to steal money and put a thousand dollars in in a special account, and then every year, as long as your parents stay poor, you're going to get another two thousand dollars, right? And as the parents start to earn more money, the the contribution gets reduced, and if your parents earn enough money, then you don't get anything, and, and all you have is that thousand dollars. You know, maybe earning a little interest in government bonds uh, until you're 18. Now, when you're 18, you can take all this money that you've got, and you can use it to buy a house. That's you know, that's the government's plan. You can take it out at 18 and buy a condo, buy a house, or you can use it for education or starting a business or something like that. But the bottom line is the government's basically stealing money every year and just handing it uh, into these kids' accounts. Now, this is outright, again, you know, blackmail or, 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 you know, bribery. Vote for me and I will hand you all this free money. I mean, imagine, you know, if the kids could actually vote because that is the next step, right? Because they're giving all this money to kids, but the kids can't vote. But it's the parents that think, aha, my kid's going to get this money. So that means I won't have to save as much money for his education because he's going to be able to tap into this pool of money the government stole from me. Right. That's how the government screwed everybody up with this gigantic Ponzi scheme that Donald Trump wants to protect that we now call Social Security. A lot of people were convinced that they didn't have to save for their retirement because the government was doing it for them. Well, guess what? The government saved nothing. And so the government has to steal from the young people in order to give money to the older people who saved nothing when they were old, young rather, because they assumed the government was going to take care of them. Well, that was a bad assumption. The government squandered. You know, they said that we need this forced savings, that Roosevelt was saying that a lot of the middle class or poor people are not going to save. So the government has to save for them. Well, you know what? The government didn't save a nickel. Every penny they collected in taxes, they've already spent. So there's no way the individuals could have possibly done a worse job because even if they saved something, if they saved one penny on the dollar, it would have been one penny more than the government saved. But meanwhile, not only are people now reaching retirement age impoverished because they were counting on the government, which now is disappointing them. But society lacked the benefit of those savings. If Americans had spent less and saved more because they didn't have any Social Security, we would have had more capital investment. We would have a more vibrant economy. We wouldn't have these huge trade deficits today. We wouldn't have uh, this huge national debt, but for the fact that we, you know, we relied on a government Ponzi scheme. So this is another situation to basically give people something for nothing. Let's just have all this, these kids, you know, give all these poor kids money. You know, speaking about giving money to kids, the, the big constituency now is going to be the students, right? We got 1.5 trillion of student debt, probably by 2021 or 2020, the election, we could at 2 trillion, we could be at $2 trillion in debt. And I remember I wrote a commentary about it. I talked about it on my radio show when President Obama initially decided to change the student loan program. See, he said he was going to keep the cost down by taking the profit out, right? He was going to socialize the program. Instead of guaranteeing private loans, the government was just going to issue the, the loans directly and they were going to get rid of the profit. And so the price was going to come down. Yeah. When does price ever come down when you take away the profit? 
Profit's the only thing keeping prices down because you have businessmen that try to make a profit, but they have to be in competition with other businessmen. And so they have to keep prices low. Otherwise, they won't have a profit because they won't have any sales. But whenever the government nationalizes something, the cost always goes up. And I warned at the time, I said that the, the rate at which students are going into debt is going to increase as a result of what Obama did. And we're going to have a bigger uh, student debt problem. And that's exactly what's happened. College tuitions keep going up and we have more and more debt than ever before. But the next uh, uh, big political giveaway is going to be forgiving the debt, right? You get a politician that promises to forgive student loans, you're going to get the vote of every single student. I mean, obviously, you're sitting there with 50000 100000 in debt and a politician says, vote for me and I will forgive that debt. That's like, you know, I'm going to get a hundred grand if I vote for you. Hell yeah, I'm voting for you. Now, what politician is going to say, I'm opposed to that because there's no way you're going to lose all those votes. Now, obviously, what people don't get is the cost because if we're going to forgive all the debt, who pays for that, right? A lot of times the voters don't realize how they're going to pay for it because the politician who's promising that is not going to say, I'm going to raise taxes on the middle class to pay for it or we're going to have massive inflation, and so you're going to have to pay more for everything you buy. No, what the liberals are going to say is, we're going to get it from the rich, right? So I'm going to give all this money to the students, and we're going to take it from the rich. Well, you only lose the vote of the rich. Well, who cares? There's not that many rich people. And the middle class are like, well, that's fine, right? You're going to, you're going to take this money from rich people and give it to the students. Well, as long as I'm not touched, hey, that's fine with me. And a lot of people, too, they have sons. They have daughters that have student debt, grandchildren. So everybody is going to be happy. This is why, you know, when people ask me about, you know, should I take out a student loan? I'm like, look, you know, if you're going to go to college, don't be don't be a fool and pay for it. Borrow the money. So at least, you know, when the debt is forgiven, you'll have yours forgiven, too. If you're dumb enough to pay cash for your college degree, you know, then you're not going to get the bailout. I mean, I say the same thing, you know, when people are buying houses, don't pay cash. Just take out a big mortgage with a, with a fixed rate. Because at least if you want to walk away, you stick the bank with the loss. It's not your loss, right? You, you know, you don't want to put real equity into the house. It's going to go down in value. And of course, the only money that anyone's going to make owning a home, it's not going to be as a homeowner. It's going to be as a debtor when your mortgage is wiped out to inflation. But this, the fact that you've created this big constituency of highly indebted young people, they're like indentured servants, right? The government now loans them the money and now they're in debt to the government for the rest of their lives. But now the government can say, oh, vote for me and we'll let you off the hook. Or, you know, they might have some other program where they don't completely wipe out the debt. Maybe if you work for government for a certain number of years, you know, they'll, they'll, maybe they'll try to craft the program in such a way to make sure that these young people constantly vote for whatever politician promises to keep the wolves at bay. Like, okay, you don't have to pay your loan as long as you keep reelecting me. We'll make sure that you don't have to pay anything. So it's like another group of bought voters, just like Social Security. Why does Trump want to pander to Social Security? Why does he want to say we're never going to cut Social Security? Because he wants all the people who are on Social Security to vote for him or to vote for the Republicans or anybody who's nearing retirement age. Oh, we want, we want the votes of all those people. Nobody wants to take anything from anybody. Nobody wants to give anybody the bad news, right? Trump wants to be all things to all people. Everybody gets everything. No one has to sacrifice. No one has to pay for everything. Everybody eats the free lunch. No one has to cook it. No one has to pay for it. You know, and at least the Democrats say the rich are going to pay for it. Trump says nobody's going to pay for it. It's all coming from heaven, right? It's all going to be, it's all going to magically appear because of this booming economy, which isn't even booming. I guess at least the Democrats 
their lie seems a little bit more believable. They're not saying the money is going to come from nothing. It's just going to come from these rich people who just, ha you know, we're lucky enough to have all this money and we could just take this money from them. They're not going to miss it because they don't need it anyway. And somehow it's enough for everybody to have everything that they want. Thank you.